Welcome to Behind the Tools. Here's Tradeify CEO and your host, Michael Steckler. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Tools. Um, delighted this week, we've got a returning guest. So Anne Timpany from White Star Property Services down in Wanaka in New Zealand. And uh, for those of you with a good memory or who've been listening to every episode, um, Anne was previously uh, ran a business in the UK called, uh, in London called ONTAP Plumbers. And um, Anne was on episode number 27. For those of you who want to go back, if you want to listen to that. Um, Anne, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. Thank you. Great to have you. And Anne also, a full disclosure, is a, is a board director at Tradeify as well. So uh, one of the reasons that Anne is a board director at Tradeify is obviously Anne is in the trades. And we thought it was really important to have someone that was both a customer and understood the business inside out on our, on our board of directors to help us think through um, how we build the business and the product that we build. Um, so Anne, maybe just for background, it might be worth starting with, do you want to maybe just talk to your, your journey um, briefly for those who didn't listen to episode 27? Yes, sure. So uh, my husband is a uh, plumber and uh, in the UK, when we were in London in 2009, uh, he decided he wanted to go out on his own and set up his own plumbing company. Um, And it was just around the GFC or the global financial crisis time. So I'd been made redundant. And so I was kicking around and I have a background in sales and marketing. And so I said to him, well, if you need any help on the sales and marketing side, then I'm here because that wasn't one of his specialties. So he said, great, let's um, let's do this together. So we started on Tap Plumbers um, in early 2010. And we grew very quickly, very quickly. Um, we started out uh, operating out of North London. And then we moved up to St Albans near Watford. And we grew our business from a residential plumbing company with Raf in his van going around with his tools, doing people's boilers, and because he was also a qualified gas engineer. And so he would do just odd jobs around people's houses. And then we started getting contracts for larger works. So we started out with a warehouse at Terminal 4, Heathrow Terminal 4, and then continued on to do some luxury residential developments in London. Um, and then it all kind of grew from there to us doing the Facebook headquarters and Amazon's headquarters and tower blocks down at Canary Wharf. Um, so we did some some large scale works. Uh, it was so we went from being a small plumbing company to more of a contracting plumbing company at the end. So we ran that for 10 years before we moved to New Zealand, just before the big March lockdown of 2020. Oh, and it's great. It's a great, great growth story. Um, what one of the things that often comes up is, you know, some companies are happy with kind of where they're at and they want to maintain the size they're at. Others think through growth. Did you, I mean, I've asked you this before, but, you know, what was the plan? You, you came into this, you know, with a business starting off more residential. Was there a plan? How did you approach thinking about growth and, and expansion? Yes, we had big ideas right at the beginning. Um, and they, it didn't go quite as we originally planned. But we, when we started out, because my background was in sales and marketing, so um, I wanted to build a brand that made us look a bit bigger than we actually were. So I yep. used inspiration from big gas and plumbing companies in the UK, like British Gas. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I was punching very high above my weight there. But I looked at their branding, um, and we created on Tap Plumbers the image of it straight away in a similar vein to those we started out straight away with a website we started out straight away with 
you know, with a van that had had signage and workwear and um, we went for a very different type of branding as well. So what we were planning to do in the early days uh, was to grow very quickly and perhaps franchise the business. So that was right. our big plans. Um, but yes, that kind of fell by the wayside when we started doing contracting, because what we found with contracting was it gave us guaranteed work for a, a, a lengthy period of time. And we also had very yeah. reduced, yeah, margins and things. I'm not margins, sorry, very reduced costs by not having to have a lot of vans on the road and things like that. So that's why we went down that road instead. Yeah. Was there a moment that defined that that made you go, right, we should we should subcontract versus hiring people full time? Yes, there was a few moments. I think it was around 2013, 2014, when um, we had two little baby boys and I was also pregnant and Raf was working seven days a week and <laughs> working all hours of the day. And I was like, we just can't continue this way. You need to be at home and spending some time with your family. Um, and so the contracts, the larger contracts started coming our way from just one particular client. Yeah. And we thought, this is great. Commercial contracting, five days, you know, work, normal working days, normal working hours. He's around in the weekends and we can grow the team and we have guaranteed work. So in 2014, RAF went off the tools completely and just managed the contracts that we were growing. And was that... I mean, sort of not speaking on his behalf, but did he find that a challenge at first doing that, moving from sort of being on the tools to, to more of a management role? He loved it. <laughs> he, he does enjoy being on the tools, but he also really enjoys things like negotiating. He loved right. because he's, he's not, um, he's European, he's Albanian, and he just loves to barter and negotiate. And he's very good at it too. So he loves that part of the job and he's a real people person. So, you know, dealing with um, site managers and QSs and estimators and things like that, he just loved it all day long. Yeah, yeah. And he's very, he's very bright, so he needed to be stimulated as well. So he actually taught himself how to really learn commercial contracting, the laws and things like that around it. Yeah. So he became very good at that type of thing. And did you have, you know, from a, from a hiring point of view, you know, it's obviously different subcontracting and then hiring people. But prior to that, presumably you, you had hired some people. Yep. How did you, you know, when was the moment that you decided to do that? And, and was, there a, was there a moment in terms of the amount of work you had? Um, was there a plan around that? So we had to hire pretty quickly, actually, after we started the business in 2010, because um, the business has grown quite fast. And in the UK, a lot of the work that we were doing needed two plumbers or gas engineers yeah. because you're looking at lifting boilers because RAF was doing a lot of heating work and gas work. So lifting boilers up multiple stairs, um, cylinders, things like that. So he actually needed a second hand very quickly. So we brought on um, a guy very early on who, was, who had been an apprentice, but he was quite far past the apprentice stage um, and Raf knew him quite well personally so he was our first one but we didn't employ him directly we just subcontracted him like a lot of a lot yeah. of trades companies do in the UK yeah and so there was already he was a known quantity though Raf yeah. knew him and knew what he could do and, and all, yeah. all that stuff yeah and then yeah. how did you approach subcontracting was that easy for the company I mean that was must still be hard to sort of scale up and support that level of growth Subcontracting is tricky because, you know, they can drop 
you and you can yeah. drop them at any point. So it's got pros and cons for both the business and for the individual that you're sub subcontracting on. So, you know, it depends on the individual as well, because you can still build loyalty with them. But some of them are just, you know, someone else is offering them an extra five pound a day. They're off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And when you've got a team like we grew to 70, 75 plumbers at one point. And so there was a lot of churn. There was a lot of people coming and going for really basic stuff. And, you know, um, you'd have to have very site, uh, strong site managers managing a team of 12 plumbers on one site because some of them just come and go. They'll turn up late. They'll leave early. They won't even turn up at all. And they'll have one of their mates covering for them. There was all sorts. It was, it was very, there was a lot of drama. <laughs> too much and drama <laughs> how did you how did you approach that did you how did you did you try and build a culture so that people felt like they were part of the company even though they were subcontractors yeah we definitely tried to build a culture in the company we used to do like a monthly drinks for example yeah. because we had plumbers on say four or five different sites around london sometimes they wouldn't even see each other so they didn't even yeah. really know they were kind of part of one company um so we did these monthly drinks and we'd take them to like ping pong hall one time or we'd take them to um, paintballing another time and we'd bring them all together. And they love those events. Yeah, yeah. It was at the, um, the Crystal Maze in Angel Islington. That was a great event. It was quite competitive. So that, but that really brought a whole bunch of us together. Um, so we did try to build that culture, but it's harder the bigger the company gets. It's really hard to have yeah. keep that culture going. Yeah, and so sort of dwelling on that for a second, because you know a lot of our listeners are probably sole traders or people that have you know hired a couple of employees, maybe about to hire their first employee. Any any advice you give around hiring for someone that is about to embark on that journey to get that right? Because it is it, it's difficult for two reasons. One, um, some people haven't done it before, and so they might make some of the sort of common mistakes that you see with that. And two, there's just a dearth of talent right at the moment. It's really hard to find qualified. Mm -hmm. Um, good trades people everywhere in the world that's been a that's been a challenge any any advice or learnings you have from that period that you would yes people yeah we made a lot of mistakes <laughs> over the years yeah so yeah, i've got a huge amount of experience in in, in that field so there, there's a few common mistakes so if you're on your own and you decide to hire an apprentice first that's probably number one mistake um and that's got to do with the fact that really bringing on an apprentice that you want to stay within your company for a long period of time and you want to develop that loyalty and you train and develop them, you want them to stick around. But often if you bring on an apprentice, they need a huge, huge amount of handholding. They need yeah. you to really help them develop, train, learn on the job. And that can actually take you away from being able to you know, move through your work as, as you need to and get as much work done and keep your productivity levels up. So I would say first person that you hire shouldn't be an apprentice it should be a qualified tradesperson um secondly check the references <laughs> so we made a few mistakes but we didn't check the references and had a few nightmares off the back of that with a few lies coming through um, um and then people not turning out to be the people that we thought they were and that was rough um things like make sure that you have um, make sure that you have some interview questions and you actually interview these individuals because it's really easy when you're really busy and you just, I just 
thinking I just don't have time to meet this person I'm just going to hire them and hopefully it's going to work and we're just going to get on with it but you you actually really do need to take some time to make sure you get the right people because it can cost you a lot of time and money hiring the wrong person yeah and then them leaving a week later and then you have to repost the job again and um you know, it's, it's, it's a costly mistake. So yeah. you know, often you can think it's it's okay that they sound good on the phone, but really you should try and meet them face-to-face before you take them on. Um, and as I said, have some interview questions. Don't be too relaxed about it. Don't be like, oh, yeah, how long have you been working in the job? Sweet. Oh, yeah, what have you done before? Okay, let's get going then. Have a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have a bit more of an in-depth conversation with them about, you know, what's important to them, what's what kind of values they have, um, you know, what kind of background do they have. Um, it's there's, there's a lot of different questions, and you can just you can look on Tradeify, and um, we'll have some interview questions on there that can help you out. Um, so there's lots of resources around to be able to refer to. Um, having the right documents in place. We can be, again, in trades, very relaxed about these types of things. But ultimately, um, if you don't have an employment contract for them, and it will protect them and it will protect your business. Because we've had a few incidences where we've been taken to tribunal by young apprentices. And and if we didn't have those employment contracts in place, we would have ended up having to pay them out, you know, one, two, three months work um, while they took off so having having an employment contract in place and also having things like employee handbooks if you can get those again there's lots of right. resources online just making sure that when you bring that new person the apprentice or the um, tradesperson on board that it's very clear to them what's expected of them you know what time you expect them to turn up what time they're going to finish work just have all of the questions that they're going to ask you, anticipate them all, have it all laid out really clearly. Um, you know, what time smoke for example, how long, how long they've got for their lunch break, whether they're getting paid for their lunch break or not. I mean, all these questions come up. Um, so just make sure you have it all really clearly defined, written down and communicated to them because uh, that's going to save you a lot of headaches in the long run. Yeah, that's just that first step of even writing that down. I think it's interesting. You talked about lunch breaks and those some things that we might think of as being very basic does does make a difference. And you re, you talked about values. Um, that's one that comes up a lot. That you know sometimes it's about cultural fit, and some businesses you know attract a certain type of person. Did you have that defined? Was it sort of clear for people that worked with with OnTap what that looked like and what was expected mm-hmm. of people? Yeah, I think the bigger we grew, that was really hard hard to. Um, to establish and again often we were recruiting really quickly on the go I mean we're making all those mistakes that you shouldn't be doing not really meeting them first not really having a good conversation with them first and then finding they drop off after a couple of months you know because if you if you find out that they you know for example they have floated around and they've worked for a bunch of different tradies and and they've moved along very quickly then you find out that probably they do go to someone else for their extra five pound an hour or whatever you know yeah yeah yeah. and whether they like being part of a company with lots of people or whether they'd rather just work by themselves that's also quite a big defining factor and you know the growth of the company as well 
Yeah, of course. And so you've sort of gone from doing that. Then now you're in Wanaka, which for those that don't know, is sort of on the South Island of New Zealand, um, very currently covered in snow, uh, sort of near Queenstown, which is probably its more more famous neighbour, I think would be fair to say. But uh, Wanaka is a very beautiful place with a lovely lake and, and everything else. So quite different to London. Um, and now you're starting again. Do you want to maybe talk us through sort of that journey and what that's been like? Yeah, so we left the UK at the end of 2019 and decided we would move back to New Zealand. Um, my husband had always been keen to live in New Zealand. It's a lot slower pace of life. Um, there's only 10,000 population in New Zealand. So we've gone from, what is it, 12 million in London now? Oh, 10,000 in Wanaka, you mean, not yeah. New Zealand. Sorry, yes, 10,000 in <laughs> Wanaka, sorry. And so we've gone from, from a very fast-paced heavily populated place to a lot slower pace I mean the tradies here have something they call the Wanaka way so if it's a powder day up on the mountain everybody just expects that no tradies are going to turn up they're all going to be up on the mountain <laughs> it can be it can be a bit difficult when you're trying to schedule your works and your programs um there's some other interesting things around here is that most of the tradies here employ they don't subcontract. Right. So they tend to employ plumbers here. There's not a huge pool of plumbers in Wanaka, um, but there's a huge amount of building work going on here. So there's a huge need for them, but there isn't a large pool of them. Um, so they tend to stay and they stay around for a while. Um, yeah. Then a lot of the young ones want to go away and travel the world and go to London and work in London and, and experience all of that, had, what that has to give them. So um, it's been great moving here. It's been great for the children. Raf has worked for a couple of different plumbing companies here in central Otago. So he's worked in Wanaka for two plumbing companies and now he's working in Queenstown for a plumbing company. So there's quite a few plumbing companies around. The biggest one has probably um, got 12 employees working for yeah. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they all tend to do a bit of everything. Yeah. And, then, so what, and what, led you, what, what led you to White Star? So um, funnily enough, when we came back to Wanaka, we thought we're not going to do plumbing, we're going to do something else. <laughs> so we looked around for a food business or a, a restaurant or something like that. And then COVID hit and that's just like, yeah, not a good idea anymore. Yeah, and yeah. Raf ended up again working back for other plumbing companies and learning a lot about how they operate here. And then discovering that actually here in New Zealand, compared to what we were doing in the UK, um, the, the margins are better here. And his knowledge and my knowledge of running a plumbing company um, is, is still very definitely relevant over here, just as much yeah. as it was over there. And we thought, well, let's just go back to what we know because there's a huge boom in construction here. There's a huge need for plumbers here. So let's go back to what we know. So the other difficulty though here is in New Zealand, if you're a UK qualified plumber and gas engineer, you can't just start operating like you do in the UK. You have to get your qualifications. <laughs> so yeah, right. yeah, unfortunately, RAF has had to go through a number of different exams to basically re-qualify under the New Zealand system. And so that's taken a couple of years and now yeah. we will be... Um, in the process of launching our new business in the next couple of months here because we're finally getting on top of that 
And what are you, I mean, what's, what's intriguing is you've done it before, which I think I tend to find is very useful because you've, um, you refer to it, right? You've made a ton of mistakes, which I think is the great thing about, um, one of the great things about having experience in business is actually that you just learn this pattern rec- recognition. You, you see the things that went wrong mm. and you try to avoid making those mistakes again. Mm. How will you, is there stuff that you'll do that you did, that you did similarly? I mean, like the, when you think about the branding and how you marketed the business in London, are mm. there some similarities or things that you will do the same? Yes, definitely. There's things um, like networking that was very yep. powerful for us in London. Um, whereas the in London, we started out with no connections or network that we could use to support us launching our, our new business. So we really had to create those relationships from from the start. Whereas here, we have a, I have a lot of relationships because I'm from here originally. So I know a lot of people here and I know a lot of um, businesses and networks and connections. So yeah. that's going to make things a little bit easier for us. Um, we're developing a business a completely different way than what we would have done in the UK. So what we've also learned in, in um, business in the UK, contracting as good as it was, is actually a really high risk game to play. And with, um, you know, the potential to fall over at any point and can get very right. stressful with the amount of money that's at stake. So what we've, um, what we always avoided in the UK was doing maintenance work and servicing and repair work. And that's exactly what we're going to do here in New Zealand. <laughs> we're going to focus on maintenance and repair and yeah. servicing work. Most of the plumbers here all focus on the new build stuff. Um, not many of them are focusing on the maintenance. And there's just continual um, gripes and moans that nobody can get a tradie here to just come around and fix their tap or, you know, right. things like that. So that, those little jobs are the ones that we're going to focus on here. And is the plan um, initially, so how do you think about hiring and, and the plan over, over time? Do you have a, a vision of what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. What we want to do here, rather than build a plumbing company, we're actually going to build an all-round maintenance company that serves all the different um, plumbing, electrical, heating, all the different services that um, operate within a household. So we're not necessarily going to go out and just um, employ a whole lot of plumbers. The next employment will probably be a fully uh, licensed electrician. That's what yeah. we'll probably look for next. And then we'll look for all those different tradies that do those different services. And what we've also learned is that there's potential there if we give them some shares in the business, that that will be a, a much quicker and easier way to grow the business and keep their loyalty and retain them on a long-term basis. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because we, we spoke about this briefly before we started recording, which is, you know, White Star Property Services is very intentional, right, to capture not White Star plumbing, uh, whatever else it is. And so anyone anyone listening who's thinking in that direction, it's quite a smart way to approach that. And also the share thing, how, how commonplace is that, that companies are giving a share of the company to, to employees who come on board early? Yeah, it's not that commonplace, but one of the companies that RAF worked for here in Wanaka, which is actually now a nationwide business, that's exactly the strategy they have, and it's one of the biggest plumbing companies in New Zealand. So yeah. that's where RAF's experience working for them came in quite handy, that we learned about that strategy that they have. Um, so that, that's kind of where that came from, and it's very effective for them. Yeah. And talking about retention, I mean, I was going to ask you about retention of, of staff and employees and, and how do you generate loyalty. How do you think about that? Is that one of the tactics that you think is, is going to be pretty beneficial? Yeah. Yeah, there's a few things here. Um, again, they're, as employees, they get a lot of perks here. So they'll get health insurance. 
Um, you know, they'll get access to a company company vehicle that they can use at, all the time. They can even take it on holiday to the North Island if they really want to. Um, they'll get their pensions paid into, well, they do that in the UK as well. But um, there's a whole lot of extra benefits that you can add into it. Um, I remember Raf got a voucher from New World for $250 at Christmas time. There's yeah. little little things that we can do along that line. But I do think at the end of the day, particularly in New Zealand, where if you're um if you're an employed tradesperson, you can really hit that ceiling on salary-wise very quickly. Um, so you can earn the same amount from once you've qualified out of your apprenticeship right up into being 40 years old. You can be pretty much stuck on the same wages for 20 odd years so we are looking at ways that we can help our employees on the wage front and salaries and even things like here in Wanaka they all want to go skiing so buy them a season's pass or get their kids on the mountain and pay for their season's passes there's a lot of different things that we can do yeah cool that's great thinking and then sort of final question really as you think sort of longer term I mean we're in a weird sort of time post-pandemic, now unfortunately looking like another recession on its way, if not already hitting in, in, in uh, different countries. How do you think about future trends for for trades and when you think about your own business? Are there things that you sort of look ahead and go, right, we need to really lean into that? Yeah. So trades, as from our experience, no matter if there's a recession or not, we plumbing is always still a necessary yeah. service. Um, so I think on that front, it's never going to be something that dies out. Also, it's very manual. It's a very manual job. It's not something that can necessarily be replaced by robots and artificial yeah. intelligence very easily. Um, there's going to be a huge growth in home technology. There was already happening in the UK when we left. So that, for I think for any plumbers looking at the future or gas engineers or trades looking at the future, they need to really look at future technology and where that's going and try to upskill on that front. And obviously when the government create new legal, um, new policies and new laws around climate change and the environment and electric cars and things like that, I'm seeing a huge growth in electricians training up to become, you know, EV specialists and things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, 100%. That seems to be the direction that uh, lots of people are getting into. Cool. And then we always finish with a few questions. Now, I know you're not sort of, you're not on the tools. So um, I'm going to sort of be selective in how I, I, I ask them. Um, okay. As a company, though, did you have a, a preference in terms of a, your main tool brand that you would use when you're in the UK or, or now in Wanaka? We, uh, in the UK, we used a lot of healthy. Yeah. We had a, a subscription service with them, actually, like a monthly subscription service. So um, we got a lot of healthy tools, healthy yeah. tools, and they're still here. We, there's healthy in New Zealand as well. Yeah, and what's your view? Actually, I've, I've, I know the answer, but I'm just intrigued to, to ask it. Your view on tool insurance? This is the thing that comes up a lot. Tool theft. Uh, oh. It's actually a problem worldwide. I mean, it's, yeah. it's 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 actually a slightly bigger problem in the UK than I think it is in New Zealand. But it's definitely a, an issue that that sort of I would I would suggest some of the sort of bigger industry bodies aren't addressing. We're taken seriously enough but how did what was your view on that and insur- insur- tool insurance we had so many tools stolen <laughs> and so many because also we uh the subcontractors they had to have their own tools yeah um, and their tools were stolen from sites all the time out of the back of vans it was just constant um yeah. and 
when you're paying in excess of 500 pounds on your insurance policy, it's not really worth it because you can just go down to the secondhand market and pick up a whole bunch of them in South yeah. London, for example. So I don't know, it's something that needs to be looked at and thought about and how you secure them. You, you've got to get better. The security system just has to be to be better for them. You know, on our sites, we had special big lock boxes we put on sites so people could lock them away in there. And that was the only thing that deterred people from stealing. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then um, if you were on site or when you're not on site during the office, if you had a go-to lunch? Well, to be honest with you, <laughs> Ref and I frequently used to visit an oyster bar <laughs> in Barramar. Oh, oyster, oh, you're very, that's, well, that's very, uh, it's very fresh. <laughs> um but so we we had a variety because when you work in central london you've got everything a lot of choice yeah yeah oh pret-a-manger love pret-a-manger um just a really good prawn mayo sandwich from marks and spencers that was a great lunch too (laughs) yeah yeah all for a couple of pounds so two three pounds yes yeah cool great and then any sort of pet peeves that you saw on site or when you were dealing with the sort of um working with the teams and it really sort of used to get you? Oh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> there was a lot. It was, I've, I kind of briefly touched on it earlier, but when the guys just didn't turn up on site and they got somebody yeah. else to sign in for them, and then we got all the data downloaded from the security guys on the front desk to see who was coming in and out, and it was, it was actually quite appalling. Um, and we didn't realise until a couple of months after they were doing this. So just that they were taking the complete mickey and still yeah. expecting to get paid their £180 a day or whatever. That was, was just awful that they would do yeah. that. But yeah. Yeah, okay, that was a big one. Cool. And then anyone else you think we should sort of last question, you know, you, you come across a lot of people, anyone you think we should speak to next on the podcast that you think is interesting? Oh, there's quite a few. I... Um, Manufacturers are really good to talk to. Yeah, such, yeah. A, such good insight into every part of the industry because they talk to so many different people. Um, yeah. So, like, um, if we're talking UK or New Zealand, yeah. or the UK, um, things like Polypipe are really interesting to talk to. Um, Marley Plumbing Fittings, um, Valent, Worcester Bosch, any of those kind of manufacturers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Great. Well, Anne, this has been super insightful again. Really appreciate you joining. Um, it's been great. I think some, hopefully some people out there think about starting a business have picked up a few tips and tricks from this. Uh, mm-hmm. So appreciate it. And obviously I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Um, and for everyone else, thanks again for listening. And if you have any comments or feedback or you want to appear on the show, please do hit us up. There's an email address in the show notes. And if you can rate review, if you use Spotify or Apple, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, until next time. Thanks a lot. See you. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Behind the Tools is brought to you by Tradeify, job management software for your trade business. If you enjoyed the podcast, let us know by leaving a review and be sure to tell your mates about it. Email behindthetools at tradeifyhq.com if you or someone you know would be keen to join the show as a guest.